Australia is known, famed even, for its deadly creatures. Crocodiles, snakes, sharks, spiders, stingrays and probably a few creatures you've never even heard of. In fact, many of them dwell uh, in or around the electorate of Mullandiria McCarthy, of course, in the Northern Territory. But I want to know what is the most painful animal you've ever been stung by. Was it a bull ant? Apparently that can be pretty severe. Was it an Irukandji jellyfish? I don't think you'd forget that in a hurry. Was it a hellfire anemone? I don't even, haven't even heard of a hellfire anemone. Wouldn't like to cross one in a dark alley. Have you stepped on a stonefish? Apparently that can be one of the worst experiences of your life. What about a platypus? Apparently you can get stung by a platypus. Um, how, how did that feel out of one to ten? See, here's the thing. I want to know from you what you've been stung or bitten by and how bad was the pain from one to ten? 0418 is the text line. This text says, have you ever heard of a fish in the Great Barrier Reef called a happy moment? Because apparently it's a very happy moment when the pain eventually goes away. Well, one person who knows exactly how painful the stings and bites of many of these creatures are is Professor Brian Fry, a venomologist from the University of Queensland. Welcome to you. Thank you very much. What got you into this line of work? Why are you so interested in pain and the creatures that produce it? <laughs> well, I wasn't a normal child. I mean, we can start with that as our baseline. Uh, well, actually, my f- very first memory is actually being in agony, where the first thing I remember is being in the hospital with spinal meningitis. And this is an extraordinarily painful disease to go through. And it's also, you know, in many cases, lethal. Like there was a case about 10, 15 years ago where I think it was 14 kids came down on a school camp and six of them died. And if you survive that, you're left with usually, you know, some sort of permanent disability. In my case, complete deafness in my right ear and really dodgy balance. But my very first memory is, you know, being in this agony and understanding that there's this concept of these, you know, invisible substances that can change the entire trajectory of your life. So that, you know, formative experience combined with looking at pictures of my mom's Time, my mom's time growing up in Africa with her parents who are UN workers from Norway. They um, lived in Africa a few times. They had gaboon vipers in their tennis court one time. They had cobras in their garden. They even had a black mamba come into their house. So I got fascinated by these snakes and the fact that they were able to do all these kinds of things that you know I had gone through with that disease. So it was just kind of a natural one from there. It's all sounding very exotic, all these exotic vipers on the tennis court, although I'd like to only view them from a distance. Uh, Tell me about, um, I've I've read you've described your viral meningitis as extraordinary body-wide kill-me-now pain. You've also been bitten by and stung by a few animals. It sounds like you've angered a few animals over your time, (laughs) whether it's intentional or not. Tell me some of these animals... And what was the pain like? Well, I mean, it's a fair call to say that I angered them because no venomous animal is going to deliberately attack you out of spite. You know, they just do it out of fear. So you can think of venomous animals. They don't start fights. They end them. (laughs) But in the case of what I've gone through, the most painful experiences, well, number three would be a scorpion sting. When I was deep in the Amazon, it felt like my finger was in a flame for eight hours. But that wasn't even the really the fun part. The really traumatic part was that my heart would beat like 100 beats in 30 seconds and then stop 
and there would be nothing for four or five seconds, and then it would restart. But it's basically like going into a chokehold because four or five seconds of no blood flow in your brain, and you're pretty much passing out at that wow. point. That went on for six hours, and that kind of did my head in a bit. So is that the uh, venom then, passing through your body, the, the, those rhythms that you described? Well, the scorpion venoms have a direct effect on the heart rhythm. So the you know, rapid, irregular heartbeats is a diagnostic symptom of a scorpion envenomation. So there was nothing atypical there. And it was a case of having enough knowledge to be completely scared of what's going on, where you know, I knew that these were you know, catastrophic effects. Um, second most painful experience would be the um, time that a stingray jabbed its bob about four inches into the meaty part of my thigh all the way down to the bone. Yeah, that was fun. And it took breaking my back in three places to exceed either of those two. Although the Lego that I stepped on last night for my three-year-old when I got up at midnight I'm was familiar. I'm familiar so with that, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the pain subsides only slowly, but uh, in, the, in the morning, the, the Lego is still there. Um, oh, yeah. The road to hell is paved with Legos. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've really had quite a... You're uniquely placed to not only understand the sort of anatomy and the biology here, but also the effect on the human body. Actually, while I've got you, the Stingray Shuffle... Is that the best way to avoid being stung by a stingray? Because I've heard people, swimmers, ocean swimmers say, this is what you've got to do. But you also look a bit stupid, and I don't want to look stupid. I'd rather look stupid than be, you know, than writhing in pain. <laughs> you know? True. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the stingray shuffle is very effective. That If you brush up against it, they're going to take off. You know, stingrays don't want to get in a fight with you, but they will if, they, if they're cornered. But if you step straight onto it, yeah, they're going to drill you. Wow. Uh, if you've just joined me, it's 23 past four. Professor Brian Fry is a venomologist from the University of Queensland. We're talking about some of the dazzling array of stinging, painful, creepy crawlies we have in this glorious country and how uh, how painful their stingers are. I'm wondering if you're have, having some sort of lived experience here. Perhaps you've also angered the wrong animal like uh, Brian has, 0418 <laughs> This text says... I was uh, months out to sea and I got stung by a, a Gulf of Carpentaria saltwater catfish. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, the skipper of this boat wasn't wasting any serious painkillers on a dumb newbie like this person and no amount of alcohol helped. It subsided two days later uh, and he recommends, this person recommends never touching a saltwater catfish. This one, it was a centipede. It felt like my finger was broken. It lasted all night and into the morning and Meg says she was bitten by a redback spider and rates the pain 8 out of 10. So, yeah, we have some yeah, different experiences here, but there's certainly a lot of trouble you can get into with our glorious Australian native animals. They always ask when you go to the doctor with some injury, how much does it hurt out of 10? But pain is such a relative thing. Can it actually be measured? Um, yes, no, maybe. Where using the fish stings as an example... The sting of a stonefish or of you know that the aforementioned catfish is actually greater than the sting of burning yourself. And now the way that we know this is through some very unfortunate attempts at first aid, where if you use water only at about 50 C, it'll break down the venom of any of the fish. You know, they're very heat labile. And that's why first aid at like a lifesaver shack, they'll often have hot water on the go and ready for that. But it needs to be hot water that someone who's not an insensible pain can stand because we've had cases where people have done the first aid treatment, but 
the water is being measured by the temperature of it is being measured by the person who's uh. in that pain. So they're saying, yeah, it feels better. It's still hurting, but it's less. Well, the venom is long gone at that point, and they're basically barbecuing their foot. And this has has led to amputations before. So there's a very clear cut baseline that we know fish is the, these fish things are more painful than scalding yourself. And when you say fish, are you including uh, jellyfish in this this description or not? Uh, I'm just talking about fish, fish like stonefish and stingrays. Right. Now, jellyfish are a completely different kettle of fish to use. You know, mix my. Metaphors. You've said that before, haven't you? <laughs> sure. And um, the, it's a very interesting one with the jellies, where if it's immediate agonizing pain, where like you've just cut the person's leg open and poured sulfuric acid into it. That's a box jelly. You know that immediately. And it's this violent, immediate pain. But the irukandji is much more insidious, where most of the times people don't even feel the sting until about half hour later, and they start getting this stepwise climbing of pain that can last up to two weeks, doesn't respond to morphine, because whatever pain pathway is being turned on isn't one of the pathways that's blocked by morphine. But even more insidious is the mental agony that is characteristic of a irukandji. And that's why on the scale of 1 to 10, these go to 11, where there's something in the venom that's a molecule small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier, and it creates a psychological injury, where I've heard it put in so many words that the patients feel have this feeling of an you know an impending feeling of doom. Mm. And you know, they end up really emotionally distressed and it's the perfect illustration that with any kind of envenomation that people need to be treated for the mental injury as much as the physical because it's an extraordinarily traumatic event to go through and people who survive irukandjis have legitimate PTSD by the time they're done with it it's that harrowing of an experience and they'll need you know some therapy you know to get you know, to heal that mental injury from wow. the mental pain that's as great as the physical pain. Isn't that incredible? So we've established definitively that the big daddy of uh, Sting's uh, 11 out of 10 is Irukandji. Can we also establish definitively that the use of human urine is not a good idea or in fact <laughs> a useful idea? Can you weigh it, into this debate? It does nothing, you know. So um, you know, unfortunately, you know, as comical as it may be, that um, you know, the vinegar is very effective at neutralizing the tentacles of box jellies. Now, it does nothing about the venom that's in you, but it allows you to wash the tentacles off without additional nematocyst firing and making that worse. So that's the standard approach to a box jelly because often people have the tentacles tangled around their leg and embedded with hooks into their leg, and they need to get that off because there's more unfired nematocysts. And it's a, a critical emergency because of the length of the tentacles and the number of nodes that a box jelly has results in them having up to 240 meters collectively of the, across all their tentacles of you know, tentacle length, and it only takes two meters of total contact to kill. So a big box jelly wow. can have enough to you know, to 120 times the dose. And the box jelly and the stonefish are the only two animals in the world well characterized as producing pain, the physical pain, so intense that the person can die from shock within the first minute or two. And then if they survive that, then the direct venom effect on the cardiovascular system over the next 20 to 30 minutes can kill them. You know, so you have two ways to die with a box jelly or a stonefish, but it's like, you know, the line out of the princess 
bride of, you know, to the pain, you know, where the pain alone kills you. <laughs> there's, there's such power in, in these native animals that you'd think that there's some biological or applied uh, way we could make use of them. I mean, I don't want to say biological weapons, but that certainly goes, that's where my mind goes. Fascinating to talk to you. I shall uh, endeavour not to anger any native animals, and I'm never swimming again. Uh, Professor <laughs> Brian Fry, venomologist from the University of Queensland. Great to talk to you. Thank you. No problem. Have a nice day. 